All right, welcome to our first podcast of our second season. It is ASCP's birthday, so a little theme music. pretty good all right so it's ASCP's birthday the first show of uh, our second season Tom what do you think I'm ready to celebrate I've got my hat on I've got <laughs> I my, love it. My, my party favors we're ready to go I love it I'm gonna read something um, because I want to make things contemporary if it was 55 years ago that ASCP was founded it was founded in 1969 so it's the double nickel birthday uh, but I'm going to read to you what ChatGPT says is the history. The American Society of Consultant Pharmacists was founded in 1969. Um, oh, I'm not reading the right thing. Sorry. Sorry. We're off to a great start in the new year. I mean, really? We already have. Now we can't win an Emmy for the show. Hey, I was thinking while you're looking that up that we should start referring to it as Chad GPT. What do you think? Chad GPT. It would be as accurate. <laughs> <laughs> All right. The American Society of Consultant Pharmacists was founded in 1969, originally established as the National Association of Consultant Pharmacists, NACP. Its primary purpose was the, to address the unique needs and challenges faced by pharmacists Working in consulting roles, particularly those serving the elderly in long-term care settings. So there you go. You know, I, I, I firmly believe that in 1969, as, as pharmacists dealt with these new entities called nursing homes, which probably look a lot like rest homes today, uh, the nursing home consulted the local pharmacist, and there it is. The beginning happened. How do we take yeah. care of these people in these congregate care environments? We can't, we've got, you know, who knows, you know, what the original nursing homes, the size they were, but I would, I would argue they're probably 70 or 80 bed facilities, 80 people at the time, maybe eight or 10 medications each, 800 amber vials being delivered to that <laughs> facility kicked off an entire industry. I mean, I think that, I mean, at basic level, that has to be what happened, right? Yeah, I mean, I would think so. You know, Medicare and Medicaid just really came into existence as, as official um, terms and policies. And so, you know, the senior population was growing. I, I see a lot of similarities between that kind of apex where we needed to do something different in America to take care of the aging population. And now we're, we're in a very similar way because we've been doing this the same thing, the same way for the last 55 years. And now we're having a major shift, a major growth in the senior population. But they're instead of going to the nursing homes or building more um, senior living centers, they're staying at home. And so we're at a very similar type of crossroads where new policies and new government um, legislation is going to have to come out to address where the population is going. Yeah, I think what's what's really interesting, you know, you, you do everybody, I think, that works in pharmacy or as a pharmacist does their historical retrospect on the profession. And um, we happen to have a, a very old apothecary in Alexandria, Virginia, that we do a lot of work with. Um, and if you go upstairs to that apothecary, 
there's a little office for the pharmacist. There's all the drawers of stock. Some of it still has like dragon's to teeth in it and weird stuff that they had back in the 1800s. But it also had this big sort of dispensing island where they would compound or put together the products that they were going to um, give to uh, the people that were coming with prescriptions. And I think it's interesting because you think about the evolution of pharmacy. Um, this was really, in 1969, a big deal. It kicked off an, an amazing amount of innovation. Like we went from arguably amber vials to an environment where now today we have these machines that can pouch packet medications in by dispensing time, you know, in one day, three day, seven day, 28 day, whatever you want sort of um, quantities. And that's one story of the 55 years of ASCP is how do we innovate around the logistics, the product, the delivery, how it's presented, how it makes the, the world of the nurse that has to dispense that medication easier in the nursing facility. And then you have this whole other side of it, which is, okay, we can deal with 10 medications being dispensed to one individual in an efficient way from a, from a logistics perspective. What do we do from a clinical perspective? How do we make sure that those 10 medications are safe? How do we separate them, make sure we make the right decisions, uh, keep people free from adverse events? So it's a very interesting world that we live in, in pharmacy, in this little niche of long-term care or older adult medicine. Um, and I think, you know, it's I, obviously I started working in this industry 25 years ago and love it for those reasons. Yeah, it's it's evolving and 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 now it's evolving very very quickly. You know, I was looking back some history of ASCP and and just that kind of apex that decision to say, hey, we went from dispensing medications only or compounding and dispensing medications to really being able to to have to clinically assess. And I actually have a you know one of our founders is is George Archambault and uh, him and, and Tim Webster and. I actually have a quote here that uh, I want to read you. It's a, it's a little long from George Archambault, but I want to get your takes. I think it addresses exactly what you just said. Um, it says here, it takes courage to be among the first to depart from the conventional pathways to the unblazed trails where progress is made. In such departures, the adventurer, be an associate or an individual, is often referred to as someone on cloud nine, an idealist. And often, too, he or she meets with the outright hostility of his colleagues who do not want to be the status quo change. These objectors, the truly unrealistic ones, are, the one, are those who never learn history's one important lesson, namely, nothing is permanent but change. When you hear that, what do you think? Because he, he said that back in 1969. Well, I, get, I mean, I get a little goosebumpy um, because it's a great quote. Uh, I actually used that quote in my application to take this job at ASCP. So um, I love that quote. And I think that quote is as poignant today as it was when he said it 55 years ago. I mean, look at what we're dealing with with vaccinations post-COVID. You know, there are pharmacies out there that are like, hey, I want to be the supplier. I'll ship it over to you. I don't want to have anything to do with it. 
Uh, and then there's pharmacies out there, you know, probably a, a little bit more that are like, no, 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 I want this responsibility. I'll go into the facility. I'll vaccinate. Uh, I want to make sure that I'm being reimbursed correctly for it. I'll, I'll, I'll handle that change. I think that's good change. And the only reason I bring that up is because I think it's specifically what George Archibald was talking about. Like this industry has has changed dramatically in 55 years. It will continue to change dramatically, hopefully in the ways that we all want it to in terms of paying for more of our services and being paid less about the product itself and more about what we bring to the table as pharmacists, whether it's that logistics and operational um, efficiency or it's that clinical efficiency. Um, so I, I love that quote. It's a great quote. Yeah, I mean, we're at a situation where back in, in 1969, there was around 18 million, 20 million seniors in America today. Now we're at 55 million, and then we're projected to grow almost 40% to get up to seven, at the apex, it's at 78 to 80, 80 million. And so the population's growing, whether, whether we want to or not, whether we want to change or not, the industry's changing and the population's changing. And so I find some pharmacies are out there trying to be cutting edge and innovative. They're always looking for the next big thing, but there's still a group of people that are kind of wait and see. I'll change if I have to. I'll make adaptions and and I'll adopt technologies if I have to. But I don't want to be in the the forefront. And why do you think why do you think that is? Why do you think that 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 group of people uh, are a little risk adverent? You know, I I think again I'll go back to just the concept of change and, and being a strategic thinker and forecasting versus getting used to doing something a certain way and feeling like, okay, I've mastered it and I'm, I, th this is what I do. I'm not changing. Um, and I think when you talk about the population going from 18 million to 55 million to in 2030, it's going to be 74 million to 2060, you know, I don't know what it's going to be, 90 something million. That is a profound increase in consumers while at the same time we're innovating medications. So people probably in 1969, uh, I don't know what the average medication use for an older adult in a, in a nursing home setting was, but I bet it was in the seven, eight range and now it's in the 10, 12 range. Um, I'm not saying it's going to be more as we continue to go forward, but, but it may. And the reality is that's a lot of medications to, to deal with from both a clinical perspective and an operational perspective. There's going to need to be pharmacies that continue to evolve, become more efficient, become better at what they're doing. It's part of the reason I think that we're all here is we all see that. Like to go from 55 million to 74 million in five years is going to be, hold on grab something and hold on because that's huge. That's a huge shift in population. Um, and we have to be ready for it. And I think a couple of things have happened in the last three months that I think are important for those watching where we're going in the evolution of where we're going. One is um, Exact Care purchased Tabula Rasa Pharmacy. Tabula Rasa was a pharmacy that did a lot of um, pace work, so working with older adults that were embedded in the community versus in skilled nursing. Um, I think they did have some skilled nursing that they serviced. Exact Care is a pharmacy that does um, long-term care pharmacy at home community. Um, they they can they've come together. 
very recently, um, Clarent Health bought Remedy. Yeah, and Remedy Pharmacy is a um, you know highly technological company that that built a process to deliver medications to nursing facilities using technology to make things more efficient. They were purchased by what primarily would be considered a, a long-term care at home style pharmacy. They're a big entity now. You've got mm -hmm. Pharmerica out there, the big entity. You still have Omnicare out there that's a big entity. And all these pharmacies are broadening their horizon from I don't just service nursing homes. I service nursing homes, assisted living. Now I'm servicing PACE communities. I'm servicing people in their homes. Yeah. I'm starting to think about the individual older adult and not where they put their head down at night. And that's, right. a, hu that's a huge change for this industry and one that we have to be you know, paying attention to because what it does is it broadens all those other services that we bring to the table beyond just um, getting product to the person. Now it's getting product to the person in a way that helps them stay compliant and adherent. Now it's getting pharmacists and their unique medication management services to people in the community, in their homes, as opposed to just in nursing homes and maybe in assisted living. So these are changes that I think are profound that is, again, super exciting to be in this world of long-term care pharmacy or older adult medicine right now going forward. Yeah, no, certainly. So back in the, uh, on the nursing home side, OBRA 87 with the mandated drug regimen review really kind of helped force the pharmacist to be a part of that healthcare team to do those, those chart reviews, do those regimen reviews. We have MTMs and, and other type of capabilities outside the nursing homes. But again, those are more I pick and choose as a pharmacist if I want to even even do the MTM. What do you think needs to happen legislative-wise, like OBRA 87, to really, I don't know if the word force is the right word, but to require or mandate or, or, or to hope to get that consulting clinical um, review for those patients that are at home that need it. Not not for everyone, but certainly people that would qualify as a long-term care patient. They just have to, to be residing at home. What do you think that would be a good policy or, or, or where we can go with that? Well, I mean, I think it's, and I've said this before, clinical services is, is probably going to be more like um, death by a thousand cuts in terms of the way the government looks at it. It's going to be MTM. It's going to be the services you currently provide in nursing facilities that will extend into assisted living facilities as government investment extends. Um, it will extend into community as government uh, investment extends into community in terms of eligible people that require long-term care services. Um, I think it's um, incident to billing and how telehealth has sort of um, given incident to billing for pharmacists an opportunity in, in skilled nursing facilities, that's going to be something that will drive out into community. I think ECAPS, this piece of legislation that's sitting there in this election year, poised to get passed, I think it will get passed. And even though it's related to, to testing, treating, and vaccinating, it finally gets us listed on the Social Security Act, and from there, we can start adding an array of services that pharmacists can provide directly to patients and be paid for through Medicare. Um, it's a challenge, I mean, to push these things through. The government does not want to change. The government is slow. Um, the government is worried about 
spending on things that, that uh, they don't want to spend money on, even though it, it always sounds like they're spending money on everything. Um, but I think that's where it's going to come from. And suddenly there's going to be a package of services a pharmacist can provide and you're going to be billing MTM and you're going to be billing your nursing homes or your pharmacies for your services. You're going to be billing incident too. You might have Medicare billing through things like ECAPS and you're going to have a, a suite of billing for pharmacies or pharmacists that basically approximate, approximates what we would call provider status. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's a guess. I mean, no, I'm yeah. forecasting. No, those are those are all uh, incredibly good points, and um, I think very very valid. You know, like you said, it, it seems the government moves because they have to, and unfortunately, there might have to be some, you know, pain and suffering before before there's any any, any real uh, movement. I know we have people like Buddy Carter that are that are up in yeah. Congress that are really pushing for these type of agendas and other other different doctors and and um, healthcare professionals. As far as ASCP, your role and and the this community's role, what do you believe would be our way to concentrate, way to move that that needle, move that pendulum over to where to where we need to make sure that these seniors are protected by having more pharmacist intervention? I think. If you look at where we've come in the last, you know, five or six years, we now have people on staff like Jim Lewis that came out of uh, the Hill, came off the Hill. He worked for two representatives um, in Congress. Uh, we Before Jim, we had Veronica, who came from the Senate. So we've started to build an infrastructure of understanding the way legislative things move in Congress, and maybe that's something other associations have done before, but I really think what it's done for ASCP is it's raised our level of reputation in the Beltway and on the Hill. We are now a first call from agencies when it comes to, um, hey, we have to deal with this in long-term care. Let's call ASCP and figure out how are the pharmacies and the pharmacists gonna, gonna deal with this, or how can we help them deal with this better? So I think that helps. I think some mm -hmm. of the other associations, the big ones like ASHP and APHA, um, are still making their noise around these issues, and they have um, workforce issues that are kind of pushing agencies and, and legislation toward uh, what we want in terms of pharmacist services. So I think that helps. Um, but the, re the reality is, and you brought up Buddy Carter, so I'll bring up Buddy Carter, is the hardest thing to, to explain to members is that nothing makes sense here. It's not rational. Um, and, and you can have the greatest idea that would save the most people's lives, and it's still going to take time and effort, even though every, you, know, you might think and we might think, oh, my God, that's a no-brainer. Well, a no-brainer is probably a three-year process here. I mean, that's, that's <laughs> the reality. And people like Buddy Carter are helpful, and the longer that he's here, he gets on more committees of jurisdiction and powerful committees where he can be more helpful to pharmacy. Um, but he, he's just one of 535 members of Congress, so um, he helps but maybe not in the way that I think our casual member might think he helps. Whereas having the ECAPS legislation being led in the Senate by John Thune really helps. John Thune's probably the number two most powerful senator in the country next to, to Mitch McConnell right now. Um, probably 
after this election year, he'll be the number one most powerful mm -hmm. senator in the Senate. Him sponsoring and leading the bill makes the chances of that bill moving a whole lot better. And we have to do all the things in the background to support it and support our people that, um, our legislators that are being supportive of the bill, but that's a win right there. Because it's not some freshman senator or freshman house member that's sponsoring right. this bill. This is the, this is the person coming from the, the highest levels. Now it's got a, a real chance. So we've got to focus on those issues. We've got to, and that's why I bring up Jim Lewis and, and in the past Veronica, because they know exactly who to talk to, to move your to bill. They, Jim knows, you know, again, Buddy Carter's nice and we want Buddy Carter to be part of our bills, but Buddy Carter can't do anything for us. John Thune can do something for us. Um, you know, th those are the people that we need to be pushing these things through. So I think that's where we need to spend our time. And to continue to, to advocate in the agency side for our pharmacists. You know, CMS is an absolute brick stone wall right now. They're an awful agency to deal with. And I'm, I'm sorry to say that out loud, but they don't listen, they don't care. Uh, everything to them is a nail and they're a hammer. Um, and we need, we need to just keep advocating for what we do and what we believe in so that at some point we get some relief or we get some opportunity from CMS. And it may mean, you know, depend, regardless of your politics, it may be good if the administration changes so that we get new people in there that might have new ideas and, and help us move things forward. No, absolutely. You know, I, I often try to encourage people to to join ASCP and and most of the people that we're talking to that go to conferences or meetings or listen to this podcast usually are ASCP members. But what I what I try to tell them is there's power in in, in numbers. At the end of the day, the more people you represent, then the the, the bigger platform that you get on on the hill. And so, with that in mind, kind of from from an ASCP perspective, what's your thoughts on on membership and recruiting and what you'd like to see your members do. If you're speaking to all your members right now saying, hey, yeah, you're an active part and we appreciate that, but you know, recruit recruit other pharmacists and career, career technicians, technicians that have chosen long-term care as a career to continue to be a part of ASCP because it really is about the volume and in, in, in numbers that we can have. Yeah, I think we're, we're, we're doing everything we can this year to make it even easier for people to join ASCP. So I would say to our members out there, you know, it's that uh, old college phrase, like look to your right and look to your left. Get those pharmacists involved in ASCP. You're involved, um, get them involved. Um, take them to a regional meeting. Um, take, you know, invite them to, to do one of our webinars or our APEX meetings that are online. Uh, get some exposure to who we are. Um, respond to the letter writing campaigns that we put out that say, hey, ECAPS is close. Send a letter to your congressman and congresswoman um, on your support for that. I know, again, the casual member thinks, well, you know, what my letter doesn't mean anything. It actually my really voice. does. And, and yeah. I know Veronica and Jim have spoken ad nauseum about how important those letters are. Again, they were on the receiving end of those letters in the past. So mm. get engaged, get involved. Um, the, the beautiful thing about ASCP is we're not a behemoth organization. We're small organization. We have 5,000 members. We have 24 people on staff. 
you have the opportunity to do things at this organization that you're not going to have the opportunity to do at other organizations. Speak at a meeting, uh, work on a research project, join a committee. You, you're getting, ASCP has positioned themselves to be one of the top pharmacy organizations. Your path to the top of ASCP is a lot shorter than it would be if you were a member of ASHP or APHA. And again, I'm not criticizing my colleague associations, but that's the reality. We're a lot smaller and a lot more intimate. You can walk up to our staff members at our meeting and talk to them. They, they probably know who you are versus mm -hmm. APHA where I'm, I'm sure that that's impossible with the, the sheer number of people um, that are at their meetings or part of their membership. So I got another quote for you. All right. This is from John, John Maxwell, author and, and, and speaker on, on, on management. He says, people tend to change in four different seasons. When they hurt enough they want they, that they have to, when they learn enough that they want to, when they receive enough that they're able to, and, and when they see enough where they're inspired to. So coming from your position as CEO of ASCP and your wish and desire for ASCP, where do you, how do you think that, that that quote kind of relates to kind of your mission? I mean, I think every, in every, at every statement, every statement, <clears throat> what, is, what is the hurt? Um, PBMs and the downward pressure on reimbursement, that is the hurt that is going to force pharmacies to, to look at different ways of, of doing their business. And that's not a, a, a giant positive, but that's, that's why we're fighting these PBM battles and these insurance company battles. Um, inspiration comes from presenting our own members to our membership, going out there and saying, who's doing these wildly innovative things and can they share those things with our membership so that other people might be inspired by their work? Um, I think the other two, uh, what were the other two? There was inspiration, there was hurt. L learn enough that they want to. Learn enough that they want to. I mean, that's, you know, our big theme this year is uh, how to how to set up a vaccine clinic, how to bill incident two, uh, how to become a consultant pharmacist, how to become an immunizer, like teaching people skills that, re that result in more opportunity is one of our, you know, that's one of our en enduring responsibilities. And Excellent. then the last one? Receive enough that they're able to. Receive enough and hopefully the value that we bring. And again, I, that comes back to our boutique style status is I think I think we we deliver a lot of value back um, to our members in terms of the education the opportunities you have to see it and join but you know there's no closed doors here the doors are always open you reach out you want to do something talk to us let's do it absolutely I've seen that and, and been a part of that myself so I couldn't agree more we are 55 years so double Jefferson's and did a little bit of research. 1969 is when uh, when ASCP officially started. Milk was 80 cents, bread was 20 cents, gas was 35 cents, so it's a little bit higher now. But back then, uh, in 1969, Apollo 11 landed, Woodstock happened, the Beatles rooftop, and then of course the, the Manson murders. Wow. <laughs> So mostly good. <laughs> I was negative so three in 1969. <laughs> Krista, how old were you? Except, except, except for that. How, how old, old was, was I? I don't think you want to know. I was know. negative. <laughs> it didn't exist. But 
thank thankfully for people like George Archambault, Rick Berman, Tim Webster, we can all now stand on their shoulders and move this profession forward um, for what they've done. And, 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 and we had a whole historical retrospect last year on this podcast. There's so many people out there that have built this industry and built ASCP that we need to be um, thankful for, admire, acknowledge, and learn from so that the next generations of ASCP members can, can carry it forward. So 55 is not is not old. No, no. So when you retire 55 years from now in 2079, there you go. Um, how will ASCP look then? Uh, I hope uh, even better than it than it does now, and and hopefully with the continued um, innovative entrepreneurial leadership from its members that it's always had. It's awesome. Yeah, well, I, I don't know if you're going to make it 55 more years. Uh, ASCP will, but you and I will be long, long retired. I don't know. Let, I mean, maybe if you take Ozempic, it'll make you live 55 years longer. I mean, who knows? It, could do, it could do everything else. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I can't even grow hair. So, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know about living, living that long. But There you go. All right. Well, Tom, thanks for being on the birthday show. Season two. We never thought we'd make it to a season two, I don't think, did we? Yeah, we yes, we did. Yeah, we did. We knew that. We knew. All it's right. Nothing but, but joy. Well, thanks, everybody, for joining season two, episode one. And we'll be back next week with uh, an another episode and a full season of our experience. All right. Happy birthday, SCP.